Hello creeps, I bid you welcome back to the Eldritch Review Podcast. I am Dr. Jack Al Creeper. The Eldritch Review is the podcast dedicated to reviewing and discussing horror movies from anywhere in the 1920s to the 1940s and beyond. Before I get to today's episode, I want to take a moment and reflect. This episode marks the more than halfway point of season 2 and man what a ride it's been. From having such incredible guests, both for their very first time and returning for a second time, maxing over 1,000 total plays, and so many new experiences, I have truly had such a wonderful and incredible time thus far, and I couldn't be any more grateful. I'm honestly at such a loss for words because I had a dream that the Eldritch Review was an overnight success, and it all just came together without really even trying. Little did I know, I was foreseeing what was to come of my latest project, and the fact that it did come into fruition is amazing and honestly it's mind-boggling. I created the Eldritch Review because I've always wanted to start my own podcast, and I knew that if there was anything I could talk about for hours, it would have to be horror movies. I have absolutely no regrets, and I wouldn't trade a thing for this world. I want to say thank you to my team over on Universal Monsters Universe for supporting me, believing in me, and for always thinking of me in each and every movie you make. You are truly my dearest friends and family, and I love you all more than words. To Team Universal Studios Monsters, I have such extreme love for both of you as well. London, you were such a blast to talk to, and I'm so grateful that it was our episode that brought us that much close together and developed our friendship. Our episode, Dracula's Daughter 1936, is the most listened to of Season 2 and one of the top 10 most listened in the entirety of the Eldritch Review. Wow. Ian, you have the biggest monster heart I've ever seen. Your passion for Universal Studios monsters, the Wolfman, and heavy metal music is truly felt through all of us, and I really love the work you do. To my partner Alex, thank you for loving me and supporting my podcast with every fiber of your being. I don't think there's any way the Eldritch Review would be what it was if I didn't have you in my life. I can't say thank you enough. I love you, sweetheart. To my dear friend and another one of my biggest supporters, Yana, you helped me come up with the name of the Eldritch Review and helped me form my pseudonym. Thank you for always having my back and for loving me. I love you too. To my family, my mom, my stepfather, my brother, and my sister, I see you all wearing your shirts and listening to my episodes. Thank you for your constant support, motivation, inspiration, and love. I love you all right back. And finally, the last and the biggest thank you belongs to all of my creeps and the Monster Fam for streaming, supporting, sharing, and appreciating the Eldritch Review from all around the world. I never thought my voice would ever be heard internationally, much less my passion project be so deeply loved and appreciated. So thank you all, again, so much. As I always say, the best is truly yet to come and it only gets better and creepier from here. And with that being said, let's begin today's special feature. Today I'm going to talk to you about one of Universal's most appreciated sequels and another one of my most favorite sequels of all time, Robert Sidomack's 1943 special, Son of Dracula, starring Robert Page as Frank Stanley, Louise Albrighton as the mystically beautiful Catherine K. Caldwell, the Wolfman's Evelyn Ankers as her sister Claire Caldwell, and fresh out of the Wolfman and Ghost of Frankenstein, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Count Alucard. I've I've been such a big fan of Dracula for as long as I can remember because it was the first monster movie I ever saw when I was like 15 years old. Since that point, I have always been so intrigued by the mystery and the character of Count Dracula and even Countess Seleska, Dracula's daughter. I knew of this movie from before and definitely saw it prior to creating the Eldritch Review, but since I was covering this film, I had to re-watch it and 
I'm honestly so glad I did. Lon Chaney Jr. and Louise Albrighton's performance were completely unreal and fun to watch. Of course, Evelyn Ankers is such an all-star in the eyes of the women of Universal. From playing Gwen Conliffe in Wolfman, Elsa Frankenstein in Ghost of Frankenstein, and now Claire Caldwell in Son of Dracula, she's become such a household name in Universal, and truly anything she touches is pure gold. And this movie was definitely a fun one. According to the synopsis on Rotten Tomatoes, Son of Dracula 1943 retells the story of Count Alucard, played by Lon Chaney Jr., who comes out of a lake in his coffin and makes a southern belle Kay Caldwell, who's already obsessed with the occult, his undead bride. As always on the Eldritch Review, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm looking forward to doing it again. I review this movie with pros, cons, and burning questions. So, starting off with the pros, number one, I really love the heavy references to the occult. Now this movie takes place and is based largely around the idea of the occult. Kay Caldwell is very into like occult and she's very psychic and she's very intuitive and she's actually seen in the movie speaking to a fortune teller from Transylvania. So the movie is a lot like the Wolfman and that really dives into like that mysticism and that occult like side of life which we don't really see very much in movies even now in today's day and age. I mean it's more like understood and there's a lot more like fortune tellers and like witches if you want to call them that but before this I mean there really was no mention there was no visuals of it so I think for me being somebody who is a fortune teller somebody who does know how to read tarot cards I think it's really cool to see representation and even at such an early time I mean I think back then it was so like not seen because you know there was like heavy religion and a lot of heavy background noise that was kind of blocking it out so you know witchcraft and fortune tellers and mystics and that kind of people were always overlooked and were never represented because you know it was the religion time there was a lot of just religious scrutiny that prevented them from practicing their their craft and I think that it really speaks true to you know the fact that there wasn't very much representation but now we have it because the understanding is there and I think watching this movie it was really fun to see that even though you know she herself didn't really do magic I mean of course she was very like she had very good foresight and she hung out with Queen Zimba who was like the fortune teller from Transylvania that she was talking to unfortunately Queen Zimba didn't last long because the bat gave her a heart attack but I mean the idea of it was was still there and it was really cool and I mean everybody else like you know there was like very small like innuendos of the occult too I mean she could foresee Count Alucard coming Frank had a moment where he was like oh like I think like I knew that you were there and he blamed it on oh it was just the talk of the town but like the kind of innuendo that like he foresaw it also was pretty interesting so I don't know for me personally again being somebody who practices I really think that it's very interesting and it speaks true to what I believe in. Number two is Evelyn Ankers and Lon Chaney Jr. coming together on screen again. Now I wanted to bring this up because this made me very happy. So if you know your Universal Monster movies, you know those names very well, especially in the 1940s of Universal. Evelyn Ankers and Lon Chaney Jr. were in The Wolfman. She was Gwen Conliffe, he was of course Larry Talbot, the Wolfman. And then in Ghost of Frankenstein, 1942, she was Elsa Frankenstein, he was Frankenstein's monster. And now here we are in Son of Dracula, she is Claire Caldwell, he is Count Alucard. I think that in the 1940s, 
I think going back off of what a few of my guests have said in the past is yeah, Lon Chaney Jr. and Evelyn Ankers were really the most popular, like most well-known of that time period. You know, back in the 1930s in Universal, everything was all about Boris Karloff because of course Boris Karloff was Frankenstein's monster first. And of course Boris Karloff was Mhotep, he was the original mummy, and he was supposed to be the Invisible Man, but of course Claude Rains played the Invisible Man. So Boris Karloff was a very major household name in Universal, which rightfully so, he deserved it, but it never really gave way to like other actors or other creators at that time. So now we get into the 1940s and Boris Karloff, you know, he took a whole decade to be in movies. So he's kind of like, look, I'm going to pursue other projects. I want to do other things. And Lon Chaney Jr. kind of stepped up to the plate because he really grossed in popularity and he really kind of just took it and ran with it. And, you know, I think that because he had his father's name, you know, Lon Chaney, I think that it, it's not that like, you know, they kind of gave him the upper hand, but at the same time, they gave him the upper hand because it's like, whoa, this is Lon Chaney Sr.'s kid. Well, we need to, we need to give him more roles. We need to put him in more things because his father, you know, yes, his father had an amazing career. Lon Chaney Sr. had such an incredible film career, mostly in the silent films. He didn't really do too much with Universal until he did, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame and he did Phantom of the Opera 1925 so it wasn't until then that he started becoming under Universal's radar and he was supposed to be Dracula so I think that had he not died of the throat hemorrhage he definitely would have played Dracula and he might have played Frankenstein's monster too who knows I mean Boris Karloff is such a dynamic character and such a dynamic actor but who's to say that if Lon would have survived I feel like Boris Karloff might not have gotten as many roles I feel like he would have been like the Bela Lugosi where he's kind of just like pioneering for all the roles and really trying to get all the roles but no Lon really worked for his supper and it shows and same thing with his son Lon Chaney Jr. they work for their supper they really made they really made us you know enjoy their work and it speaks it definitely speaks so i think it's cool seeing the two of them but that's just me so speaking of lon chaney and his father number three lon chaney jr playing count alucard was such a beautiful unintentional and sweet tribute to his father lon chaney senior now as i just said lon chaney senior was supposed to play count dracula in the 1931 edition but he did have a throat hemorrhage i think it was complications from throat cancer if i'm not mistaken and unfortunately you know he passed away he wasn't able to follow through and so what I wonder is that it's been 10 years and I wonder if you know without intentionally trying it wasn't like a, hey your father was supposed to be Dracula so would you like a go at it I think they did it intentionally but when you look at it it's kind of like you know this is so cool because his father didn't get the chance to play Dracula and now here he is playing Count Alucard I mean it's so it's so special and I'll talk about it more later on down in the episode but I think that it's kind of like Lon Chaney Jr. had a moment where it was just like wow okay like this one's for you dad. Number four let's talk about Lon Chaney's performance as Count Alucard. I think that he did fantastic and I say that because his character design was flawless he kind of looked like Salvador Dali not gonna lie but he also had such a 
just dramatic presence to it you know he was that tall mean strong unafraid vampire you know there was that part in the movie where frank is trying to shoot him and like trying to get rid of him because you know he took his beloved away from him which she didn't love him but he was all obsessed with her which was dumb but he tried to shoot this vampire which you should know that that doesn't work but beside the point he tried to shoot alucard ended up shooting through and unfortunately hurting Kay, making her one of the undead. But Alucard just stood there staring at him, glaring at him like, what are you gonna do? Like, you thought that was gonna kill me? Heh, <laughs> funny. And I think that it's really, like I was saying before, really stands true to how incredible Lon Chaney Jr. was, and it almost makes me wonder if Lon Chaney Sr. gave his son some acting tips or he was able to see his father being in these movies. I mean, he got 24 years with his father before his father unfortunately passed away. So it begs the question is, did he see his dad in the movies or was he there kind of like behind the scenes watching his dad, which kind of gave him his own unique acting personality? Or better yet is, did he kind of develop his own based off of his own personality and who he wants to be, but also coupled with the fact that, yeah, hey, like, I really want to make my dad proud because, you know, he passed away before he could really make an impact. I mean, he made an impact, but he made an impact in silent film. He didn't make, like, an impact in the Universal Monsters universe, as we call it now. So, I give Lon Chaney Jr. props. I think that he was a fantastic actor, and this movie, The Wolfman, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, like, countless movies that he's been in just prove it time and time again. And speaking of that, I want to talk about something really, really cool. So this movie was the very first time that we've seen a vampire turn into a bat or vice versa, the bat turn into the vampire. And I wanted to share this as a pro because as a person who's a huge fan of vampires and even more bats, I think to know that this was the first movie to really do that and really explore that side of the vampire is really cool and really special. And and I think that, you know, we always kind of take bats and vampires for granted. We always kind of think, oh, a bat's just going to turn into a vampire or vice versa. A vampire's just going to turn into a bat. We don't really think about how and what it looks like. And it was even more cool because, you know, other movies like Nosferatu in 1922 or Dracula 1931, none of them revolved around you know, vampire turning into bat. I mean, Nosferatu, you never saw a bat. Count Dracula, yes, you saw the bat in the entryways and in the castle sometimes, but you never saw Dracula, Bela Lugosi, going from, okay, he's a bat, he's flying in, and now he's a human. You always kind of understood it like that, and you always kind of figured it was like that, because especially if you know your vampire knowledge, like, that, that's, that's the case. But you didn't see it, so, you know, you might have been thinking forward about it, but you didn't see it. And for me, I like seeing it visually. I like imagining, like, a bat turning into a vampire, or vice versa. So, to finally have it on screen and to finally see it is really really cool and the fact that this movie that was the first was really awesome as well now number six and a really fun point to talk about for all of my universal monster buffs all of the universal monster kids know the name kurt Sidomac, but did you know his brother robert Sidomac? kurt Sidomac was a screenwriter who wrote the invisible man returns 1940 the wolfman 1941 frankenstein meets the wolfman 1942 
than his brother Robert Sedomack wasn't actually a monster movie director and really this was his only horror movie that he ever did. He was actually a noir director. So he did movies like The Phantom Lady, Criss Cross, and Conflict, which Conflict actually stars a one Humphrey Bogart. So that was a really big deal in the noir community at that time. I thought that, that it was really interesting because, like I said before, we all know Kurt. Like all of us monster kids, we all know Kurt, and we owe Kurt a huge debt of gratitude for giving us The Wolfman and The Invisible Man Returns, and of course Frankenstein meets The Wolfman. But when you look at Robert Sedomack, who really doesn't explore the monsters very much at all. I mean, of course, he's related to Kurt, so I mean, he knows the monsters. He's probably seen these movies a couple times, but he never explored that side of Hollywood. He never explored that side of directing. So for him, doing a movie like Son of Dracula was such a new concept. It was such a new thing, but it was so well done, and I really love the way he did it. I think that it was really cool to see another Cetomac and honestly I wish he would have done more because I love a good noir movie, I of course love a good monster movie, it would have been cool to see more but that's just my opinion. Now the last pro I want to talk about, again, Monster Kids, where are you at? This is a point just for you. Number seven, Hans J. Salter was the composer of this movie, Son of Dracula in 1943. Now if you know Hans J. Salter, you know him very well. If you don't know Hans J. Salter, Mr. Salter was the composer on Creature from the Black Lagoon. If you've heard that score and it's freaked you out imagining an actual creature in the Black Lagoon of the Amazon, you can thank Hans J. Salter for that. And I'm always so interested by him because his scores are so dynamic, they're so beautiful and perfect, and it's really interesting because he lived a really long life and he did a lot of different varying movies. It wasn't just monster movies. You know, we of course know him from Creature, and you know, if you want to count this movie, Son of Dracula, we know him from this movie too, but he really had a power behind him. I just really love his work, and I had to share that because his scores are always really fun, and even though, you know, he has done numerous scores for numerous different movies and different screenplays, I really, really think that my favorite will always be his Creature score. It's just too timeless. So that concludes the pros as always unfortunately we do have to bring up some cons and actually there are quite a few I have for this movie so the first one I want to talk about is as well done as this movie was it was a little more on the slower side now no disrespect to Robert Cetomac I'm sure he did it intentionally I'm starting to think like maybe he took like a noir approach you know no some noir movies are long and drawn out and you know the plot is very kind of scatterbrained but I think that with this movie you know he tried to give it that same approach and kind of really pace the monster out and really pace the horror out which if that was the case then I love that but if it wasn't really the case it really could have been better maybe I'm spoiled you know the last couple movies I've reviewed and the last couple movies I've seen have been very dynamic and have been very like go 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 from the get-go but I think that in Robert's case you know he's a noir director and he's going to direct you know movies that really kind of keep the suspense which is exactly what this movie did so I think it was intentional but I mean it could have been a lot better in my opinion so the next con I want to talk about 
I kind of wish Lon Chaney Jr. did a Transylvania accent to go with his character of Count Alucard. Now, I guess I say this because it really kind of makes the vampire for me. I'm not saying all vampires have to be Transylvanian, but because it comes from like the legend of Dracula and you know, he is supposedly the son of Dracula, it would have been really, really cool to hear Lon Chaney take a chance at doing a Transylvania themed accent and really showing us his vocal range if you think about it. I mean, his voice is already really deep and it's already very identifiable and maybe it didn't work maybe he tried it and just didn't work but I think that it would have been really interesting to hear I mean Lon Chaney Jr. is such a dynamic actor just like his father before him I mean people called Lon Chaney Sr. the man of a thousand faces because of how many roles he played and how he was able to transform himself with makeup so often I mean look at how he looked as Quasimodo versus the Phantom of the Opera versus the clown in Laugh Clown Laugh he really really was just a dynamic actor and so was his son. I mean, Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman. He played Karis the Mummy. He played the Monster of Frankenstein. And now he's playing Count Alucard in a Dracula-themed vampiric movie. So I think he really could have done it. I really think I really had faith in him. You know, I'm not saying it's, you know, the movie's ruined for me now that he didn't do it, but, you know, you can't tell me it would have been cool to kind of explore that. I would have loved to hear it. I can just imagine Lon Chaney Jr. with his really, really deep voice talking in a Transylvanian accent, and I think that that would be interesting, but I guess we'll never be able to hear it, but I can imagine it. The next con I want to talk about, number three, is Lon Chaney Jr. build in the movie and on most results. So if you look at it on IMDb, Google, or even Rotten Tomatoes, they always bill him as Count Dracula, not Count Alucard. Now, the reason why I brought this up is because his name isn't Dracula. It's literally Count Alucard. And I guess it irks me a little bit because it's like he's not Dracula. His father, in quotes, father is Dracula. And I'm kind of like, why do all like men who play vampires, why do they automatically have to be Count Dracula? You know, I understand that Dracula is the most popular vampire and vampire legend ever told. Even in modern day Transylvania today, the legend of Vlad the Impaler and Dracul, as they say, the devil, is very real. So it's like, you know, it's understandable, but there are other names you can give your vampire character. You don't always have to just resort to, hey, he's a he's a male vampire, so he's automatically Count Dracula. Like, why can't we just be okay with him being Count Alucard? You know, I mean, look at Countess Zaleska too. She was Countess Zaleska. She wasn't Countess Dracula, even though Dracula was her father. So it's just, you know, it's a question. I should have saved that for burning questions, but I couldn't help it because I am talking about it in the subject right now. Let me know what you guys think. Do you get annoyed when you hear here, Count Dracula for any random vampire man or do you think it's cool you know don't get me wrong I'm a huge Dracula fan I'm not annoyed in the sense that like oh there's only one Dracula and there can only be one Dracula I love all the different versions of Dracula ever told but at the same time it's like okay there's one that is Dracula like truly the Count Dracula and then there's others that are like 
no, that's Count Alucard, or that's, you know, Count Orlock. Look at Count Orlock and Nosferatu. Like, you know, I could go on for days, but for the sake of this episode and for the sake of time, I just think that that's something to ponder about. And like I said, message me on The Eldritch Review on Instagram at The Eldritch Review, or you can comment on my post and let me know what you think. I just kind of wish there was more variety in the vampire world, but that's just my opinion. And the last con I want to talk about, which isn't really a con, it's more just like a kind of like I wish kind of moment. I wish that this movie was created by the Cetomac brothers together. Maybe they had creative differences or maybe they didn't get along, but it would have been really interesting to watch a universal movie created by the Cetomac brothers. I mean, Kurt Cetomac, you know, has his own reputation, and Robert Cetomac, you know, as I said, he doesn't do horror movies. He does noir and drama and western and every other category other than monster movie. I think maybe he did monster movie. One, because his brother is Kurt Cetomac, who has his reputation, and two, because he wanted to say, like, you know, for, like, a resume piece, be like, yeah, I did that. But I think, like, look at the Russo brothers and Marvel right now. I think that it would be really cool to have both of them together and just, you know, see where their brains can go. You know, like I said, if it's creative differences, if they can't come to an agreement, then I understand that, you know, it sucks, but it's understandable. But, I mean, I think that it would be really fun to watch and I think it'd be cool. So that concludes the pros and the cons. I want to end this episode with some burning questions before I get to the interesting facts. So I have three burning questions I would like to ask for this movie. So I'll start with number one. Was Lon Chaney Jr. nervous to play the Count since his father almost played Count Dracula. Now, I'm sure he wasn't because Lon Chaney Jr. is such an excellent, professional, smart, brilliant, whatever you want to say for words, he was that actor, like his father before him. But it makes me wonder if since he did receive a vampiric role now, which was his first vampiric role, might I add, it wasn't even like he had done this before, this was his first vampiric role, so it begs the question is, did he have a moment where I was like, oh man, like how am I going to play this role? knowing good and well that my dad was supposed to do it, you know, he passed away before he could. So I wonder, like, was he nervous? Was he excited? Was he, like, excited but nervous? Did he kind of, like, own, like, his dad, like, a reputation kind of just be like, you know, this is for you, dad? That's what I feel like it happened. I feel like, you know, he was confident. He was a little nervous because he didn't want to do it wrong. But I think in the spirit of being around his father and knowing that his dad almost did it, he kind of was like, you know, I will be the Dracula that you couldn't be. So number two, what if Luis Albrighton played Countess Zaleska? Now, don't get me wrong, London, if you're listening to this, I love you and I love the one and only Gloria Holden. But I can't help but wonder in watching this movie and in seeing the way that Kate Caldwell is operating as the undead Countess Alucard is what if she did play Countess Zaleska? Of course she wouldn't have been as dynamic, she's definitely not as pretty as Gloria Holden was, but it really would have been interesting to see I think because both women are gorgeous women and amazingly badass as we always like to say. So it really begs the question is like what if the roles were reversed? Maybe she was doing other things, maybe she wasn't doing a monster movie yet so maybe she couldn't 
didn't, but I don't know. I keep watching this and I see the way she looks and I'm just like, dang, she could have been an amazing vampire. She could have been an amazing Dracula's daughter, I think. So staying with Kay and Countess Alucard for a minute, she had the most dynamic vampire makeup I've seen in a while. She had crazy sharp brows. She had a very distinct face. She had eyeballs that never blinked. So it really makes me wonder, was she, Kay, Countess Alucard, the makeup inspiration for Malia Nurmi? Now, if you don't know who Malia Nurmi is, Malia Nurmi is the one and only Vampyra. Vampyra was pretty much the very first glamour ghoul well before Elvira. Yes, there was Lily Munster and there was Morticia Adams, but Vampyra was the very first to have her own show that she hosted. Elvira had Mistress of the Dark where she'd come on and she'd talk. Vampyra did the exact same thing, but what I love about Vampyra the most is not only does she look gorgeous, not only is she gorgeous, rest in peace Malia, but I think that she also really kind of set the score for like what the glamour ghoul should be. She came before Elvira, so I really think that, you know, it had to start from somewhere. And you know, her show was on in the 50s, so she couldn't have been that much, you know, younger in the 1940s watching these movies. So I just gotta, I just gotta beg that question. So that concludes the pros, cons, and burning questions that I have for Son of Dracula 1943. As always on the Eldritch Review, let's end the show with some interesting facts courtesy of IMDb Internet Movie Database. I know that this is everybody's favorite part of the podcast, so let's get right into it. Number one, Son of Dracula was the very first vampire movie from Universal to be based in a contemporary setting. There are no scenes based in Dracula's homeland, nor any scenes based in England. Huh, that's really interesting. I actually never realized that. You know, I part of me kind of understood, and part of me kind of thought, you know, maybe there was a, a chance, maybe there was like something a little different about this movie, but yeah, this just confirms it. And I think that is really cool that Universal tried to branch out from that because even though we love Transylvania, the Dracula's castle, and we also love London, England, I think that it's really cool to see a different side of a vampire. I really like the way they made this movie. Number two, when Professor Brewster is reading a book on Count Dracula, the first four lines, beginning with, what manner of a man is this Dracula, and ending with, I am encompassed with terrors I dare not think of, are paraphrased excerpts from chapter three of Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula. If you haven't read that book already, I actually recommend it. I read Dracula my junior year of high school. I read it on my own, and it's so cool because it's like the movie, but it's kind of its own story, just like Mary Shelley. Frankenstein and it's really not what you expect please read it for sure it's one of my favorites number three Lon Chaney Jr. is the first Dracula to display great physical strength on screen Lon Chaney Jr. is a very big man if you remember my episode of Ghost of Frankenstein with Ethan Collins, we talked about his build, which was 6'3", 232 pounds, I believe it was, and he's a big man. He's a very, very big man, very hulking man, and I think it's no wonder that they made him the first, because anybody else, like, wouldn't look right. I know that Dracula is not supposed to be a super tall you know, hulking, muscular man, but at the same time, it's like, look, if anybody was going to be a strong Dracula, it would have to be Lon Chaney Jr. There's no other way around it. 
Number 4. Just before filming began, the inside word was that Lon Chaney Jr. was miscast in the title role. To this day, opinion is divided over whether he was a good choice. I think Lon Chaney Jr. was a great choice. And I say that because, you know, it's kind of, again, a pay homage to his father. But I also say that he did really good because even though he didn't really have the vampire look and the vampire sound, if you want to say that, like he didn't have the vampire voice, I think that it was really cool to watch. And I think that Lon Chaney Jr. is Man of a Thousand Faces Jr. You know, I think that he can play really any role so dynamically and so well, just like his father before him. And like I said before, is I really wonder if his father gave him acting classes or, you know, let him play in his makeup or talk to him about film because clearly Lon Sr. was such a big star at that point. It's like, why wouldn't you spread the knowledge? I mean, maybe he didn't want his son to go into show business. I know a lot of like famous families are not. They don't want their kids to go into Hollywood or into the music industry or whatever industry that they are performing in. And so I feel like that could play a factor. But I mean, who's to say that maybe Lon Sr. was like, hey, we'll make this like a father-son, like, you know, family business type thing so I wish I wish we could have known that it would have been cool I wish Lon Chaney was still alive to kind of tell his father's secrets but maybe he did and we just need to find it so number five there were four people in total who had died in this film now of course you don't want to see or hear about people dying but I think in like a horror movie it's really interesting to kind of figure out really like how many people did die in the movie especially in a movie like the invisible man or in son of dracula because prior to that point i mean yes death was insinuated and intended and it was mentioned but you never like there was no body count there was no like you know oh i think they died or they might have died or you don't know about it the invisible man and son of dracula actually show the death so it's not like a secret it's not like a oh he died you know unexpectedly or it just kind of happened or it happened off screen it was like you knew it was happening and i love i love that so number six this was one of a few universal horror movies to feature a very downbeat ending now as much as i love when universal makes movies end in like an explosion or like in a crazy like fun way i really do enjoy the like more downbeat endings to where it's kind of like hey it all worked out in the end but you know these are horror movies we talked about and i do i do much rather appreciate and i do prefer the the extensiveness of a very upbeat ending if you want to call it that so number seven composer hans j salter recycles his score from seven sinners 1940 which was co-written by frank skinner even though like I've hyped up Hans J. Salter, I didn't know that he recycled his score, but in any case it doesn't matter because Hans J. Salter's scores are still just as dynamic and still just as incredible and there will never be another like him. I mean, you know, we always talk so highly about Jack Pierce in the makeup chair. Let's give a round of applause, really, for Hans J. Salter for giving our almost all of our favorite monster movies or all the ones that we love the most, like Creature, the soundtrack, you know, we would not have that trademark creature from the Black Lagoon sound, like Monster Fam Creeps. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. If it wasn't for the salt, man, you wouldn't have it. Number eight 
In this film, vampires never display any of their fangs. Mexican actor Germán Robles became the first actor to show his fangs as a vampire in the 1957 film El Vampiro, shortly before the British Hammer film Horror of Dracula starring the late but great Christopher Lee in 1958. Number 9, this was Lon Chaney Jr.'s only vampire characterization. This movie was filmed January 7th until early February 1943 and was later released on November 5th, 1943. And finally, number 10, when Count Alucard approaches the bedroom of Colonel Caldwell and transforms from bat to vampire, both the bat and Lon Chaney Jr. can be seen reflected in a mirror hanging on the wall, which is a no-no in Universal's vampire lore as vampires cast no reflection. What's more interesting, the actual animated transformation is not reflected, rather a jump cut is seen in the mirror of all places. That's funny. So that concludes today's episode of Son of Dracula 1943. I hope you have enjoyed listening as I've enjoyed reviewing it for you. I want to say thank you so much to all of my creeps and the Monster Fam again for supporting me and the Eldritch Review from the very beginning. You are the reason behind all of my success and I really can't wait to see where we go from here. Remember to follow the Eldritch Review on Facebook under the name at the Eldritch Review Podcast or on Instagram at the Eldritch Review. Also, if you would like another way and method to support the Eldritch Review, consider contributing to the Eldritch Review's Patreon page. You can pledge any amount from $1 to $100, and depending on which level you choose will determine the benefits you receive. Link is in the Instagram bio to contribute. And finally, be sure to check out all of our brand new Eldritch Review merchandise on the Eldritch Merch Store, featuring all new tank tops for spring and summer, the Creep Collection Ringer Tees, and more Monster Tees designed by Creep and good friend of the Eldritch Review, Austin Webb. Monster designs include The Mummy, The Wolfman, and The Bride of Frankenstein. We also have new accessories to the store, including three styles of Eldritch Review hats and COVID-19 pandemic masks. Be sure to purchase your merchandise today. Link to shop is also in the Instagram bio. Next week's episode will feature another special Universal sequel, 1944's The Invisible Man's Revenge, starring the one and only John Carradine as Dr. Peter Drury, Evelyn Anchors again as Julie Herrick, and John Hall as Robert Griffin. I'm so excited to talk to all of my creeps again really soon. So, until next week.